Welcome to Retail Done Right. I'm Christine Gonzalez-Wartz. And I'm Jeff Fisher. Today, in Episode 3 of our mini-series on relevant retail trends, we discuss the business risk that is tech debt. Believe me, this is way more relevant and interesting than the title may suggest. And we are bringing with us a special guest who knows a lot about this topic, but a little more on him later. Wow. Okay. Just a little hint there, Christine. But first, let's hit the retail industry news. All right. Good news to begin with. Initial reports are that holiday spending increased. MasterCard spending pulse reports that between the beginning of November through Christmas Eve, December 24th, spending increased 3.1% from a year earlier. Caution remains, though, with some retailers saying customers are shopping more sales and discounts. And to break it down a little bit more, restaurants were up the most, 7.8%. Apparel and groceries were also up. And there were some things down like home furnishings, electronics, and toys. Maybe a little bit more of a sour note, though, Nike sank 12% this week after it slashed its sales outlook as well as unveiling what they're calling a $2 billion cost-cutting venture. I knew it had to happen. I have just been waiting for the first appearance of Nike this season. I knew it would come. Episode three, Christine. I know, I know. And I'm sorry to hear that that's how we got to it. Yeah, I am too. And continuing our discussion on the softening in the luxury market, the New York Times covered it. And one of the things that they said, and I quote, The absurdity of luxury prices, which have risen 25% since 2019, yet in some corners it's even worse, and I quote, Take Chanel, where handbag prices have more than doubled since 2016. The auction house Sotheby's found a classic 2.55 Chanel bag sold for around $1,650, in 2008. In 2023, that figure from Chanel is closer to $10,200. I'm finding this a little shocking, aren't you, Christine? Oh, God, it hurt. If the cost had risen in line with inflation for that 15-year period, it would be a little less than one-fifth of that. Crazy. But another paragraph caught my eye, and here it is. In the past year, there have been signs that so-called aspirational customers who buy entry-level luxury products like cosmetics and spirits have curbed their spending. Middle-class professionals who once saved up for a luxury investment handbag have been aggressively priced out. The net result of this is a quarter of a trillion dollars wiped out of the value of Europe's seven biggest luxury businesses since April, and sales are generally down among the fashion groups. We're starting to see that weakness finally come into luxury, and I will be actively interested in watching the response to that. Yeah, I agree. It continues the trend that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, but let's talk about the other end of the spectrum for a second, and that's earned wage access, which is, I've had lots of debates with people on this, and it's alternatively a boon or a beast for some retail workers, for some who are cash-strapped, especially those in retail and gig economy workers. The solution can be found in earned wage access apps. 
They're increasingly popular. Often the user is paying to get access early. It's exchanging for a fee for work they've already done but haven't gotten a paycheck for. While Walmart and Amazon offer these services and they fund them, other retailers are offering them or workers are finding them through providers who end up acting more like predatory lenders. And that's a cash advance style program. And there are fees. There are legislation proposed on both sides of the aisle, one to loosen the restriction on lenders and the other to protect consumers. So we're going to be watching that as well. You know, this dichotomy in the marketplace continues to be a growing and almost painful shift. Now that pain is occurring on both sides. And similar yet different, this reminds me a bit of BNPL, Buy Now, Pay Later, which continues to grow significantly. Adobe reported that BNPL usage set records on Cyber Monday. We're talking $940 million alone on Cyber Monday. That's a billion dollars, Jeff. <laughs> just, just call it a billion. Wow. That's a 42% year-over-year increase. And through the end of November, BNPL is up 17%. In fact, one example of this is the stock of Affirm, which is up. And I mean way up. We're talking over 400% up as of this recording. This makes me very nervous. A word of caution, use with caution, buyer beware. And here's more of a trend that relates to a topic near and dear to you. And I think it's a little mixed in to a degree with earn wage access. The delivery service shipped, which is owned by Target, is stopping operations in Seattle due to new laws that are going into effect that require gig workers to be paid the equivalent of Seattle's $17 plus per hour minimum wage. And they would be required to receive one day of sick leave for every 30 days of work in the city. And to piggyback on that and happening in a different state, Business Insider is reporting that multiple Pizza Hut franchisees are laying off hundreds of delivery drivers in February in advance of a new law that raises fast food workers pay to $20 an hour. A living wage is important, as we've discussed, and there are some fast food chains that are already publicly stating that they're going to be raising prices to cover their increased labor costs, but it's interesting how it's beginning to play out. Yeah, and similarly, Zulily is shutting down and liquidating, joining a couple of other retailers who we've seen lose this year, where Bed Bath & Beyond is looking at discontinuing Almost all of their retail, they are coming back online through, I believe it's Wayfair. And then we are also seeing Rite Aid leaving the marketplace. And in a shocking surprise, Mitchell Gold closing overnight because they didn't have the capital. So clearly there's a set of debt of business risk and concern that exists in the marketplace right now. You are exactly right. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and whether we can get to a soft landing from a economy perspective. But let's move on to our topic today, tech debt as business risk. So tech debt is one of those topics retailers don't like to talk about. 
In fact, you can't even imagine my surprise where there I am listening to Simon Sinek interview Doug McMillan of Walmart and bang at 19.42 in the transcript. McMillan is talking about bravery and taking on big things and risk. And he says, we had to invest in modernization of our tech stack. We had a lot of technical debt. And I'm serious, Jeff, I felt validated. I felt validated. At the same time, Doug McMillan also notes in that same podcast that boards need to have some guts. And he said that CEOs need to have some guts to tackle big things that go beyond shareholder desires. That's at timestamp 1050. So you'll be able to get to it directly if you want to go hear it. You are officially validated. And so, Christine, I need to be real for a moment. When you put this topic on our list, I was a bit concerned that this might be a bit too dry or boring. And I know why I should care. And I know how debt overall can hurt, suffocate, or even limit a retailer. But why is this trend on your list? Okay. First of all, while it's called tech debt, it is technically about business strategy. And it's about the business and all the systems to respond to customers and changes in the marketplace. McKinsey and Company, in their article, Overcoming Legacy Technology Leading Change in the Digital Age, noted specifically, in the race to keep up with technology, a massive amount of technical debt is being accumulated by retail businesses. And another, from my beloved former home, IBM, the cost of technical debt is the invisible hand that throttles innovation in the retail business. There is no retailer on the planet that says, yay, wow, IT happiness. They just don't exist. There might be a couple people in the organization. (laughs) Yeah, but overall, I haven't seen that happen in a boardroom yet. While retail in general is fast to change, investment in technology systems and data sometimes lags behind. When a retailer has a dollar to invest in anything, it will go to the stores, to customer-facing systems, to just about anything but IT. In 2023, we saw retailers need to invest in their tech stack, whether it was the continuation of supply chain projects like we talked about last week, or the rush to implement AI, which we are going to get to. IT spending as a percentage of revenue was up nearly by half over prior year to 10%. This is about two-thirds of what financial services spend and about half of what tech companies spend. But because I want to make sure we bring you the best thinking on technology, I brought a friend with me who is a modernization expert to help us, Stu Cartwright, who has spent 40 years solving complex IT challenges. Hello, Stu. Welcome to Retail Done Right. Now, I've had my fights in corporate retail positions fighting for my share of IT resources, time, and budget. I've also had to manage through legacy IT systems. Help us understand why tech debt compromises the customer experience. You know how much we're focused on the customer channel here. Hi, Jeff. You know, the challenge is IT needs to make sure that what we're doing works with all the other systems you might have in the organization. That data has to be safe and protected. That pricing data and revenue recognition are correct. Many retailers in the name of speed and growth end up with random tools or tools that don't play well with each other. They solve one thing, but can also cause breakages elsewhere. So tech debt is incurred when businesses are using systems that aren't optimized. 
and even at best harmonize to deliver effectively. The debt part of it is the fact that this patchwork of systems and older systems actually cost more to support. I could live with optimized, Stu. Will we ever get to harmonized? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty. We can only hope. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this, and so I came up with three examples illustrating how technical debt can manifest in the retail industry. Number one, legacy systems and incompatibility. Inventory management and point-of-sale systems are mission-critical And once installed, they're often locked down. But what happens when, say at the holidays, your BOPIS is pegged to a system that doesn't refresh fast enough and customers continually experience out-of-stocks on their orders? Yeah, as frequently happens at the largest arts and craft retailer in the United States. You know I'm talking to you. And legacy systems can lack the agility needed for modern retail operations. Maintenance for older systems can be costly and time-consuming. But the big one is an innovation tax, when older systems make it hard to integrate with new technologies. Yeah, for instance, much of the tracking data for customers and stores can only be processed by vendors instead of being used to craft better offers for customers in-store. When these services are separate, they're still beneficial, but they certainly are not optimized. And there's no doubt that it's hard to plan for all the variations, nuances, requests, business needs that come up along the way. For instance, being able to react to an opportunity. Okay, let's just say holiday market, short turn, there's a space available or a mobile event. There's almost always some glitch when you get to the field. I'm not sure I would call this tech debt, but it shows some of the complexities. So sometimes... It's new technology, and IT is trying to figure out how to integrate it. Sometimes it's better to leave certain technologies stand alone in the beginning. But if quick fixes or workarounds remain rather than choosing more sustainable solutions, that creates fragile subpar systems that don't scale or integrate well. Then future changes or updates might require unraveling or redoing those quick fixes, consuming more time and resources. Okay, Stu, keep me honest here with my recap. Tech debt or a failure to modernize can lead to poor customer experience and stock challenges across experience and inability to understand customers and operations effectively and in the moment and constraints on innovation. I loved your reference to innovation tax constraints on innovation and ability to test and scale new approaches. In fact, in your research, Christine, nearly a third said their innovation capabilities are constrained by technical debt. Yep. And 64% said that modernization would help them expand innovation. And that is why we are seeing this increase in investment and expect that to continue, especially in the age of AI. Latency or speed or returning of a response to a customer or user needs to be low. Customers want answers lightning fast. Or they'll leave. And AI takes a lot of resources, most of which is processed in the cloud. So when retailers want to use AI... To better serve customers or to provide a more natural conversational experience... Modern systems are required. Decisions that prioritize short-term gains or constraints over long-term effectiveness impact efficiency, cost, and the ability to innovate. 
Oh, wow. Stu, great insights. What a way to close. Yeah. When Stu and I worked for DXC, we did a report on modernization and retailers wanted to pursue modernization or ameliorate tech debt to address things like emerging regulations, especially around sustainability and safety and health disclosures, to work across ecosystems and partners. You know, I've done a lot of partner and co-branding work, and I can tell you the systems piece can make or break your ability to report performance. How about cybersecurity? That's a good call out, Jeff. Our research found that three quarters of retailers said that their modernization efforts were essential to cybersecurity and 85% said that they were looking at renovating systems so that they could bring in AI and automation. As we discussed in the last episode, supply chain is an area of intense focus with more than half of the retail executives we spoke with pursuing projects there. Fixing tech debt is about increasing business agility. And as part of the research, cost reduction, more architecture flexibility, improved agility were selected by about two-thirds of the respondents in the DXE research. One of the reasons we see Amazon dominate retail is the speed and scale of their technical and business infrastructure. That modernization benefits them and the more than 5 billion estimated packages they ship a year, according to Statista. I love what you just said, Christine. Fixing tech debt is about increasing business agility. Agility is a remarkably relevant and important word. So really, the goal is to focus on modernization because customers deserve a frictionless experience. Let me just call a few ideas out. Micro moment development and experience management, personalization profiles, preferences, and persistence, fulfillment, traceability, and multi-system optimization, cross-channel, what channel? No channel, customer channel, cross-system distribution, checking out checkout preferences and next-generation payments, We have such a variety of ways of paying today. Check-in preferences, including loyalty, couponing, store interaction and media detailing, recipes, nutrition, areas shopped, requests, in-journey optimization, automation and rules management. Basta. I'm done. Yeah, I think that's a lot. Stu, any final thought? I think the big thing is, and we've talked about this before, is that Technical debt needs to be really elevated to the boardroom, and it really needs to be considered, first and foremost, a business strategy. And that's why, as I said, as I started the whole discussion, I was so excited to hear the CEO of the world's largest retailer acknowledge that tech debt is something they had to deal with. It really made it relevant for me. Hey, Stu, thank you so much for joining us. Stu, you brought some real great insights, some real credibility to the discussion. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. Okay, Christine, let's conclude with our feature, Heroes in Changemakers. I'm going to go a little old school here, and I'm going to select Saul Price. Why? Well, I just want to call attention to someone who has been so influential in retail over the past 70 years. 
possibly the most influential person in retail. And now as I live in San Diego, I love it when I can find a local connection, local history. So super quick, Soul founded FedMart in the 50s or copied the idea for FedMart, built it up, then after it was sold, founded Price Club, which was ultimately purchased by a company we all know and love that copied Price Club's idea, Costco. Love them. Sam Walton credits Saul with teaching him everything he knew about retail. In fact, Walmart is called Walmart because of Saul and his FedMart. Here's a quote from Sam, quote, I guess I've stolen, I actually prefer the word borrowed, as many ideas from Saul Price as from anybody else in the business. Wow. Saul introduced the idea of discount retailing. He's probably the most responsible person for our membership model. His principles about how he treated employees lives to this day at Costco. His approach at Costco is dramatically about lower margins with the savings passed on to the customer, dramatically reduced the number of SKUs compared to other discount or big box stores. That was revolutionary. And I could go on and on. But let me conclude by saying, I don't think there's a better example of someone who put the customer first in every decision he made. And I would like to just quickly call out attention to the podcast Acquired. You need to dedicate time. Their podcast on Costco was over three hours long, but Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal really do their homework. It is a great listen. Wow. I'm so excited. I'm going to take the time. I've got a bit of a long ride coming up, so I've got that. I'm going to go with another offbeat choice, kind of echoing where I was last week, and that is focal systems. We've been conditioned to think cameras in the store are around theft or sometimes shopper metrics, but what if you pointed that intelligence, the same stuff that helps self-driving cars at making sure the shelves were stocked. Still looking at you, largest craft retailer. <laughs> As retail talent is hard to find and even harder to keep, you making sure that you can point talent at delivering the best to customers in stocking, in planograms, and other areas is valuable. And since we are in an episode about modernization, I think Focus AI is a really great choice to help retailers get there. Boy, I love it. That is a great call out. And again, we thank Stu for a great discussion today. Uh, we want to say a big thank you to our listeners. Our mini series continues with episode four, data for ESG and sustainability is coming next. This is Retail Done Right. Thank you for listening. Michael Cook via Upwork is our brilliant sound engineer and editor. And J.D. Siriswad composed our theme music. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, and we publish show notes on our website, retaildoneright.net. Please join the conversation, rate us, comment, email us, connect with us via LinkedIn. We want to hear from you. I recently got a question about questions. If you would like to send us a question, we would love to hear from you. Yes, we would. If you can send us a voice recording, we'll play it on the show and respond. Also, please follow us on Instagram at Retail Done Right. And Jeff? Yes. I have some gift cards in my hot little pocket. <laughs> well, I know how to spend them. Let's go shopping. Let's go shopping. <laughs>